I thank my God as I think of you. Always in every prayer, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because you are partakers of me with God's grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. We do love you. Be with us as we look at this passage that's familiar and yet we need to see see it afresh and recognize both the lies that we are so often told and the wonderful response you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in a series on the stained glass, and there's eight sub-series within this series. We're on the second one, the, the fall. This will be the last one on that one. We've already talked about the fact that when man fell into sin, that God is often overlooked in that story. But God comes searching for man when man is hiding from God. God is the one who always searches for us. Aren't you glad for that this morning? God always searches for us. We discovered that God was faithful to his promise of a plan that he had made long before man ever sinned and that in his faithfulness he gave a promise that he would send a Savior. Aren't you glad for a faithful God this morning? And today we're going to look a little bit more at uh, the, the story of the fall. And we're going to look at the lies of Satan in the response of God. Before we get into that, I just want to share a true short story. I may have shared it once before. If I have, forgive me, but it just fits. I was about seven or eight years old, and my dad decided to take us and to give us a treat, and so we were going skiing at a place called Mount Holly in Michigan. To call it Mount Holly was little more than wishful thinking. If it was as high as that ceiling, we'd be lucky. It may have been maybe a little more, not much. But we chose to go on a day when, when it was real, uh, it was actually an evening when it was really, really cold and the wind was whipping and it was bitter and we didn't have any real, real warm jackets like they make today. And I was bundled up as best I could be, and the equipment we had wasn't all that great. I just had on a, pace, a pair of shoes with rubber boots over top of that, and then the, the skis were strapped on with a leather strap. That's how old I am. And we were out skiing, and as we were skiing, I got to the place where the, the cold just went through those thin coats and layers I had on, and I was just literally shivering. So I went into the, the, the little warming hut, and that's about the best you can call it. And I was sitting there shivering, and this very kind lady came up to me, and she said, little boy, are you okay? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, okay, okay. And she said, can I get you some hot chocolate? And I said, oh, that would be nice. And while she's going to get the hot chocolate, I'm remembering in the back of my mind my dad saying, don't talk to strangers. But I wanted that hot chocolate so bad. 
And before she could come back with the hot chocolate, my fear of my dad got the best of me, and I ran out into the cold to shiver some more. On the way home, my sister told the story of how she went into the hut, and this lady asked her if she'd like some hot chocolate. This nice little boy was sitting there. She offered it to him, and he took off. I wasn't even brave enough to tell my sister she stole my hot chocolate. <laughs> Keep that story in mind. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It's on page 2 of the Pew Bibles. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to look at the lies that Satan told to Adam and Eve to lead them into sin, to Eve to lead her into sin. And then we're going to look at the fact that he's still telling the same lies today. People are still buying them. Before we do, don't look at your text. Look up for a moment or two. What was the first lie that Satan told? Huh? They should eat from the tree, okay? What was the first lie we generally believe Adam or Satan first told? We often said it's the lie that you will not die. That's not the first lie he told. Look at verse, verse 1, the middle part. Did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. You shall not eat of any tree. That's the first lie. While it was in the form of a question, it certainly was that which, which Satan was trying to convey to Eve about God, that you can't trust God. God just simply doesn't want you to have what you should have. God's not able to provide for you. You can't eat from any tree in the garden. The first lie was really a lie that not only told a lie, but it told a lie by ignoring a very basic fact. Satan never mentioned anything about the fact that God had given them a tree of life they could go to and eat from and live. Satan never mentioned anything about the provision God had made to give them life as long as they ate from the tree of life. He ignored that completely because he didn't want them to think about God's goodness and God's graciousness and God's provision for them. He wanted to, to, to uh, distract them to something else. And so he said, didn't God say that you can't eat from any tree? He took the one command that God had given, you shall not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat from that one tree of all the trees in the garden. And then he exaggerated it. And he laid a bigger burden on Eve, a burden of not having any tree to go to from which she could eat. And he said, look, look at the kind of God you have. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to, to have what you need. You can't trust that kind of God, can you? I mean, that's all implicit in what he was saying, is it not? Lays a bigger burden gives a, a worse picture of God than, than is true or that God even deserves. 
And Eve kind of chimes in and falls prey to, to his negativity. And she says, we may, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall need not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, there's nothing in chapter 2 or, or anywhere else that says you can't touch it, although that probably was a good piece of advice. But she's adding to what she, she had heard God say, apparently. And so Satan tells the lie. And in it, I want to, to, to remind you one more time, in it, Satan wants Eve to ignore the provision of God. And he wants to distort that which God had, had commanded and make it even more burdensome to, the, to them. Now, there are, there are those who, who have said and suggested, and I, I think it's absolutely true, that this temptation was the temptation to appetite. And that's true. But it's not merely a temptation to appetite to satisfy something on your, that, that your tongue wants to have. It's, an app, it's a temptation to, to appetite to eat something which was forbidden because you want to become your own God. Notice the second temptation. It's found in verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Can you just imagine the scene? There is the serpent, and apparently the serpent had wings and maybe even hands, but it's sitting there with an apple in its mouth or whatever the fruit was, a pomegranate as, as the, the, the Jews seem to teach or whatever it might be, and there it's sitting there eating the fruit. Am I dead? I'm a mere serpent and I'm talking to you? God doesn't want you to eat from this fruit because he knows that if you eat from it, you will be like God. You're not going to die. That's the second lie. You're going to keep on living. It doesn't matter what you do. It, it doesn't matter if, if you disobey God on this thing. You're not going to die. God created you to live forever. You've already eaten from the tree of life. That's going to take, a, that's going to take you a long ways. I, I know I'm adding in between the lines, but can't you hear it? You're not going to die, the second lie. Then there's the third lie. Verse 5. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there is truth in that statement, a half-truth. When they ate from it, they would know good and evil, Right? But they would never, ever be exactly like God. They would never, ever be like God. Nor would they know the extent of good or the extent of evil as God knows it. They might experience good and evil, but they would never know the depths of evil or the height of God's goodness on their own. Do you, do you see the lie the devil is trying to tell them? You're going to be like God. You can be in charge of your own life. You will know that which is good. You will know that which is evil. You'll know to be able to decide what you can do that's good for you, and you can decide what's bad to, that you shouldn't do that's bad for you. You can be your own God. And unfortunately, we know the rest of the story. 
Eve ate it. Took it to Adam. Adam ate it. And here we are. In a world that's filled with evil and sin and wickedness and hate and war and crime and people dying and all the rest. First temptation, a temptation we often say about appetite. Second temptation we often say is the temptation of presumption to, to, to go ahead and do what you want to and just say, God, you've got to treat me with love anyway. And the third temptation is the pride of life, to think that you can be your own God. I have no trouble with those designations. In fact, Jesus had those very same temptations in the wilderness. Make the bread, the stones into bread. Cast yourself down from a high, from the temple. Make God save you, sin of presumption. Up on a high cliff, worship me and you can have all the worlds. You can have the kingdoms. You can be the God you want to be, the Messiah you want to be. This morning I'd like to suggest to you that Satan is still telling those three lies and people are buying into it over and over again. But I'd like to come at it from a, just a little bit different of an angle. Were Adam and Eve wicked people when Satan told them the lies? They were God's children. They were God's innocent children at that point, right? Satan was telling them lies in order to get them to respond to God in ways that would hurt the relationship with God. And I want you to go back and notice that first one. I want you to go back and notice the first one. You shall not eat of any tree. Ignoring God's provision. Ignoring God's provision. Saying that God can't provide for you, so you better provide for yourself. Not only that, saying that, not only saying that you must provide for yourself, but, but telling you that God has laid a law on you that is so big and so hard and making it a burden that Eve quickly said, what kind of God would do that? You see, people are buying into that same lie today through the avenue of legalism. Ignoring God's provision for sin and trying to work out their own salvation. Making rules upon rules. To, that's what the Jews did in Bible times. Making rules upon rules and lists upon lists rather than allowing God to transform their hearts and lives. If you think about it, isn't that what Satan did with Jesus in the wilderness? God's not looking out for you. God's not providing for you. You better, you better do a miracle apart from God and, and command these stones to be bred and take care of yourself. Ignore the fact that God has promised to provide for you. The second temptation, you will not die, presumption. That's saying you don't have to face the consequences of your action. And God's doing that with countless thousands of people through something called antinomianism. 
You don't have to worry about what God says. You just go ahead and do it because God loves you and he's going to save you. And sometimes that takes the form of universalism and sometimes that takes the form of where, where everyone's going to be saved in the end and sometimes that takes the form of people saying, I don't believe God, I don't trust God, I'm going to live my own life, thank you. And then, whether you people fall to the trap of legalism or antinomianism doesn't matter. They all end up in the same place. You're your own God. If it's legalism, it's up to you to save yourself. If it's antinomianism, it's, it's, you don't have to worry about the law. You don't have to worry about the commandments. You just do what you want to do. You decide what's good and bad. You decide what is good for you and what's bad for you, and you, you be the, the captain of your own life. You can be like God. People are still falling for the same lies. But, but God had a response. And his response to, his response to, did he not say that you could not eat of any tree, was to say, okay, you're going to end up and you're going to labor and you're going to toil and you're going to have to Prepare your own food. You're going to have to grow it. You're going to have to look after the garden. You will have to work hard to make a living now that sin has entered in. But even while you're doing that, you're still going to be relying upon me because I am the giver of life. His second response was, you shall die, but I'm going to provide a way out. I'm going to give you the gift of life through my son, Jesus Christ, who will come and die for you. And the third way out was he provided a sacrifice and a promise, and he says, I will, I will let you know good and evil, but I will cover, cover your evil with my righteousness, and you will, you will experience life in a new and different way relying and trusting on me to provide for you what you can't provide for yourself. And I will take you one day from this world of evil and I will take you to heaven where once again the tree of life will be there. You see, the devil mixes truth with error all the time. And there are two dangers with, with, with us when we listen to the devil mixing truth and error. One is to, since there's error there, we throw the truth out with it. The other is just to act as if error is not there at all. Both are dangerous. Both are dangerous. Ever since the fall, Satan has been telling people, never mind the provision of Jesus, there's something you must do to be saved. And we are told that the idea that man can save himself is at the heart of every false religion. That man can save himself is at the heart of every false religion. Satan's been telling the same lie over and over again. You won't die. You're going to be immortal. This passage alone has the answer to that. Are you aware of that? Notice the last few verses. The last few verses of this chapter. 
As you go down and look at it, you see that, that God has a dilemma. There's a garden, and in that garden is the tree of life, and he's already said those who eat from the tree will live forever. I want you to notice what God says in verse uh, 22. Man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. He drove the man out of the garden in verse 24, and he placed uh, the cherubim or angels in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. If man is able to live forever, if man has an immortal soul, God wouldn't have needed to place an angel at at the edge of the garden, would he? He wouldn't need to do that. God wanted to protect the universe from sin being an unending, eternal event in the life of, of, of his creation. And so he withdrew that tree. But before he withdrew that tree, he placed angels there so that Adam and Eve could not keep coming back and eating from the tree of life and become immortal sinners. And throughout the centuries, the lie keeps being told that man will be either immortal and you go to heaven when you die or immortal and you go to hell when you die and you live forever and sin continues on and on and on and it is immortalized. God's response is, no, you will die. He withdrew the tree, we are told, when the flood came. And he said, you will one day eat of it again, but it won't be until sin is destroyed. It won't be until sin is taken care of, first through the death of Christ, then through the intercession of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary, and then also as we live our lives, the transformation of our lives as God is making us into the people he's he's called us to be. And God then says, you will not be like God, but I will give you my Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will dwell within you, and that Spirit will place my law upon your heart, and it will cause you to walk after my statutes and to obey me. The obedience will be from the heart, not from because we're fearful, not because we think we're, we've got to do it in order to make God love us. It will be done because God has transformed us to follow him from deep down inside our being. The effects of the fall will be seen until the second coming of Jesus and until he comes back and restores the, the new Jerusalem to this earth made new. The effects of the fall will reverberate through all, all eternity. But they don't have to reverberate in our lives. We will sin. We will fall. There will be grace. We don't rely on the grace to do what we please to do. Paul's clear about that in Romans. It is too easy when we talk about good and evil, it is too easy to minimize the depth of sin and not realize how deep down it is in the heart of man and at the same time to limit the goodness of God and not realize how much farther it is than we could ever reach to by ourselves. As we think about the story of the fall, I don't want to end on a downer kind of saying, what's going to happen? Will we make it? 
That's not why God gave the promise. God searches for us. God is faithful to his promises. And above all and through all and in all, God wants us to realize the provision he has made and to rely on that provision so that it will become true of us that while we may die on this earth, there will be a resurrection and we can live forever with him throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Paul put it this way very short and succinctly. The wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through who? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's God's answer to Satan's lies. That scripture is God's answer to Satan's lies. Yes, the wages of sin are death, but the provision, the gift of God is eternal life. John 3.16 is clear. As many, all who believe and trust in God will have eternal life and will not face condemnation. That's the hope. That's what we cling to. That's the promise that God says, I will not let you go. Don't buy into Satan's lies today. Don't buy into the lie of legalism that says, God's provision's not enough, there's something you must do yet. Don't buy into the antinomianism lie that says, it doesn't matter what you do, God's going to love you anyway. Recognize that God dealt with sin when Jesus died on the cross. And when he dealt with sin, those who trust in him as their Lord and Savior, their sin will be taken care of, has been taken care of. And they have been promised that even though there's been a fall, there will be a rising. Even though man fell from his first estate, God will raise him up to a higher plane. Not because we picked our, ourselves up by the bootstraps and show God we knew how to take care of ourselves, but because we clung and knelt at the foot of the cross and allowed him to take care of us. Won't you do that today? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, almighty creator, redeemer, friend, help us to be successful in avoiding giving in to the lies that Satan still tells. Help us to trust in your provision to see the truth of what sin does and to allow you to provide your righteousness to cover our wickedness. That the promise of eternal life, we will begin to experience it now and in its final form in the earth made new. In Jesus' name, amen.